welcome to season four of Power Talk. Power Talks are short, powerful interviews from leading youth violence experts, spreading new ideas and sharing best practice. For more information on the work our charity Power the Fight does and to discover how you can help empower communities to end youth violence, please visit www.powerthefight.org.uk. On today's episode, we are joined by Jeffrey Buachi, an author, broadcaster and educator, and he'll be sharing a black teacher's perspective on youth violence. For so long to be able to talk, interview, chat, engage, learn. Um, so Jeffrey, please introduce yourself. Let me do it. To yeah, um, people then. Down there. Uh, my name is Jeffrey Boachu. Hello. Um, I'm a teacher of 15 years. That's the craft. That's the main thing. Um, I'm an author. I write a lot. I do journalism. Um, I do broadcasting as well. So you might hear me on the radio every now and again, bits and pieces like that. Um, I do anti-racist work training consultancy as well, oh, mainly over the past 12 to 18 months or so. So that's that's like a new chapter. Yeah. Um, I'm a father, uh, two. Two little kids, you know all about that. Yeah. <laughs> Starts laughing. I you know, know, you know. I know all about <laughs> three of them. Yeah, oh, three. Yeah, okay. yeah, 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 yeah. Don't. Oh, oh my gosh. I shouldn't should say that. Yeah, yeah. That's good. Three's good. Go for it. It's all yeah, good. All right. yeah, yeah. It's like your first time. Yeah, 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 yeah. My sister's got four, so I know all oh, about wow. it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so I'm a father. That's a big piece of the puzzle. Um, and I grew up in London, Brixton. Okay. Southwest London. Are you Peckham? Uh, no, no, well, no, we, no. our offices are in Peckham. Yeah, yeah. I grew up more southeast, so. Okay. Blackheath. Right, Lewisham, right, 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 right. Charlton area. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I hung out most of my time. Yeah, yeah. So I was Southwest always. Yeah. Which means that I never, because you know, I just it didn't travel that that way. Yeah. So actually, there's the whole bit of London yeah. that I'm only exploring now. Yeah. To be honest, but now I live in East Yorkshire, so that's that's my little potted history. Yeah, that's that. That's that's, the, that's, that's, yeah. that's mad. Like yeah. you've gone from Brixton. <laughs> yeah. To, how did you end up in East Yorkshire? Oh man, um, love, love, love oh. takes you to strange places. Yeah, yeah. I'll you know, because my, my my wife grew up in East Yorkshire. Uh, we met in London when I was trained to be a teacher. We grew up in London, grew our family, I should I should mm. say. And we always knew that at some point we might move. And then work opportunities came up. There was a potential school in the region, in South Yorkshire. And we thought, you know what, this might be a time we can make this work. Mm. Um, I'm quite a homebody anyway. So we decided to make the move and I left London. Can you imagine that? Yeah, I mean, the question we've all got, everyone's up thinking, is there any black people in East Yorkshire? There are black people in East Yorkshire. <laughs> There was one at first, my postman. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> big up TJ. Yeah, but are you even know your postman's name? That's we the, were like, on speaking terms uh, within hours, yeah, you know, because that's the real thing. Like, mm -hmm. you, you know, he saw me, I saw him. Because it was in East Yorkshire, it was more than the nod. It was instantly, let's connect. Yeah, yeah. We had a handshake. We wow. were like swapping recipes. He was telling about his history. And that was really important because I realised for the first time, because... Being a Londoner, you sort of assume that well, you, you kind of carry that with you. Like London, Londonness is a way and it gives you a certain confidence, yeah. especially in cities and things. When you're out of the city, there are not many people who look like you suddenly. So you have to realise, you have to build your community and you realise you're part of a community, yeah. you know, um, which in London is it's more visible, it's more obvious. But I say that, but we lived in Walthamstow for a bit. Yeah before we left. I'm kind of going off piece. No, no, it's all right. This but is fun. It's like, one thing I always found interesting about Walthamstow was it had this appearance of being really diverse and really multicultural and so on. But actually, when you went to that park, yeah. you know, I was still usually one of one black dads. Yeah. 
you know, and this is in like Walthamstow. So I was very much aware that there were still some tensions about how diverse yeah, are and, these communities. And we know. also got to appreciate that with London, mm. there's been gentrification in the last 10, 15 years, yeah. which changes. I mean, as you know, our offices are in Peckham, yeah. but it's not the Peckham I would have known 10 years ago. Definitely not. And when people, it's quite funny because there's a, there's a Nike advert, which we... We often use in our training the the, um, the Londoner one. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Skeptic, yeah. All those guys. Yep, yep, yep. And we always use it as a safeguarding tool. We always mm -hmm. like say, "Watch this advert." Everyone's enjoying it, and then it's kind of like, "Now, how many safeguarding issues can you find with okay. these people?" But there's this one scene where this girl's running, and then they're being chased by like quad bikes, mm. and they've got like skeleton hands coming after. And I always say, particularly when we're outside of London, I'm like. That was filmed on Peckham High Street, but trust me, there's more coffee shops mm -hmm. on Peckham High Street yep. and wine bars yep. than, than what you've just seen there. Yeah. And then yeah. and that doesn't mean that Peckham's still not a little bit edgy, mm. but it's it's definitely changed. Yeah. But listen, this is this is I know this is gonna be a mad conversation. Like, <laughs> yeah. I want to bigger you up. First of all, I'm gonna let me go here. Um the first time I came across you mm -hmm. was when Blacklisted came out. Like and, I, and I'm like, let me go here. And I was like, listen, all right, read this. My wife read it first, actually, and she was cool. like, this is incredible. So I read it, I was like, this is this is fantastic. And it was just so funny. And I was just like, I can relate to so much. Then I started following you, and I'm like, man, this guy's doing so much. And I think I called you on, on, on social media, like, the hardest working... <laughs> Just person. I can't, I can't call you a writer. I can't just call you a teacher. I want that on a t-shirt. Yeah, you want it. That, honestly, because it, it was like you were doing this, doing this, doing that. And I was just like, this is incredible. And particularly around post-George Floyd, there was mm -hmm. so much you were inspiring and encouraging me. I'm oh, just like, it's great just to see uh, another black man, an articulate black man in the context of teaching. And then a lot of the work that we do, we go in and we we, we train teachers as mm. well. So to have you as a reference point as well is, is brilliant. But then, then, then I saw, I then saw a new book which caught me off guard. And am I allowed to show this cover? Uh, that's a proof one, so you can show the cover. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. This is a proof copy. It's a proof copy. Yeah. I was like, okay, what is this? And you know, the fact that you're calling this book, I heard what you said. I know, right? I was like, wow. Okay, my man's going there, and I think I reached out to you and said, listen, I need a copy. Yeah. Business, I need a copy. And honestly, I read this. I'm halfway through. Yeah. And I'm like, oh my goodness, this is a book I've been waiting for. Wow. And the reason I say that is because. The big thing for us, from Power to Fight's perspective, is that how do we improve cultural sensitivity, mm. cultural competency in, in in different institutions, but particularly around teaching? Yep. Um, our experience would be that we have many teachers who come out of it, in a, come not from an inner city yes, context, definitely. land, and then don't really understand the culture. Yep. And therefore, one of our things is how do we then upskill people to do that? So when your book came out and I was like, oh, hold on, here's a book written by a black teacher. Mm -hmm. So this will inspire and encourage black teachers. Yeah. Also, I can just say, listen, to white teachers and teaching staff, you need to read this. And it's funny, it's real, it's heartbreaking in places, brutally honest. Um, and I, so much I can relate to. So bro, That's say, amazing. I just want to say, Big yourself up. No, Everybody thank you. Thank you. This that's, book. That's that's it, incredible, man. That's like well, it, those are, those it, powerful it, words. It's powerful, but it's true. And the reason why the connection here, why I wanted to bring you on, is that mainly um, we, as I said, we talk to teachers a lot, but we also have this school to prison pipeline conversation. Yes. 
uh, which we often look at, how do we disrupt this? Because mm -hmm. for us, we often see so many of the young people impacted by violence have gone through this cycle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In school. Yep. Exclude. Yep. People will feel. That's it. And then, you know, yeah, yeah, criminal then, justice yeah, system yeah, or yeah, death. Yeah. And it's a real thing. I've seen it with young people. First question I've got for you, is this a real thing in, have you experienced this in, in your context of teaching? Mm -hmm. What type of stuff have you seen around this? How do you deal with it as a black male? Yeah. But also being aware of this thing is real. Definitely a real thing. Mm. Definitely a real thing. The The saddest part is that there's a level of like invisibility that is part of the conversation. Yeah. So a lot of these kids, you won't even know that they're not there because they're not there. Yeah. And because there's not a big conversation around those communities, because the numbers are like, you know, relatively small. Yes. Like people always forget that black people in this country is fewer than 3%, you know, including like, you know, black mixed race. It's not a lot of people in terms of numbers. Impact on the country, massive. Impact on culture, huge. Um, in certain pockets, huge percentages of lots of different communities across the UK, because I'm seeing it now. But because this isn't something which you can see droves of people getting pushed out of the system, what it looks like on the ground is in certain environments or contexts, like in certain schools or in certain classes, in certain sets, if schools have like banding, you will just not see black faces. Yeah. And that translates to not seeing them in further education, higher education, in places of employment. And that's the waste of human potential. Yes. And that is... Um, that is a that is an ongoing tragedy which you which you can definitely see in real life when you look around your places of power, your institutions, your yes. businesses. So you got to think, why are they not there? Because when I was at primary school in Brixton, there were a lot of black people around me, and as I grew up and I went to secondary school in Battersea, there were still a lot of black people around me, a lot of black boys. Then the minute I got to like sixth form, you know, and I went to Wimbledon College, right. you know, because I'm Catholic <clears throat> and it was a good Catholic sixth form. I was the only black teenager in my year group. Wow. Like, and this is this is weird. This is in the late 90s. Yeah. And I'm looking around thinking, first of all, I'm one of one. This is weird. But no one seemed to think that was odd. Yeah. So no one's doing any outreach work or trying to work out why that's a problem. Yeah. So I've just got to survive. And then I go into the world of work. You know, I remember getting my first, like, after uni. I went to uni in Leicester. After Leicester... I thought I need to make some money. So I'm not going to stay on and do a master's or a PhD in that. You know, I could have. Yeah. I got a first at uni. I could have yeah, done what I wanted. <laughs> <laughs> I could have done it. But, but, but it's interesting. I, I need to make money. The work. Yeah. Yeah. The money conversation. I had to earn. Yeah. You know, and this is and this is one of those things as well that it's precarious out there when there's no generational wealth. Like I've not got, right. you know, I ain't got parents that have got like an estate that they're going to give to me. Yeah. So I knew I had to make money. So I thought, let me go and work. Went into like small J journalism. I'm working in Canary Wharf, Oval, going into the city. I just realized, where's all the black faces? Yeah. So that that pipeline that we've talked about is happening. It's happening out of sight. And for a lot of people, out of sight is out of mind. Yes. Which I think is one of the biggest problems because people don't see that there's a problem. Yeah. You know, when as a teacher, though, you see it up close because you see kids getting excluded, you know, like physically. And can not, you see it coming? There. You can definitely see it coming. But the problem is, is that, like, it's in the book, so I can say it openly. Yeah. Because of basically like stereotyping, prejudice and so on, the same behaviours do get treated differently. Right. 100%. So, you know, all kids have the capacity for the same level of nonsense and tomfoolery and messing about. Like, I don't care, you know, the horns effect and the halo effect are real. People's biases are real. Yeah. They don't think that a girl from a Southeast Asian country can play up. 
because of deep-rooted stereotypes that predate all of us by decades. Yeah. So they're not looking for that behavior, yeah. you know? And then those groups of students, they might not, um, they might just lean slightly into the shadows yeah. and just live their lo- live their lives. But the focus on bad behavior among black boys, oh my God, people expect to see it, you know? And there's been research. Yeah. There's been research in America where they set up classes and there are people who don't realize they've got biases and they are scrutinizing the black boy, yeah. watching for the bad behavior. Yeah. So when anything goes wrong, they pick up on that bad, they literally see it more than in other groups. That's that's how prejudice works. Yeah. So therefore, you know, it's no accident that particularly black boys in this country are going to be at the sharp end of that prejudice because of the stereotype and where it and where and where it comes from. So they get treated worse as well. And that and that is, I mean, this that would be my experience, but Something which I picked up in, you know, there's many things in, in your book. And this is something which oh, I couldn't believe it when I was. So what was it, it? The Swan Report. Yes. Right. 1985. Yes. Yeah, so I, I was only free at the time. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you weren't studying the Swan Report in 1985. But I was, when I read this, I was like, oh my God, I'm just going to read this quote. Mm. Right. Um, so you said in, in your latest book, you mentioned the Swan Report. And this is what it said in this swamp report. No teacher training. This is 1985. Everyone needs to understand this is 1985. No teacher training institution appears to have succeeded in providing satisfactory grounding in multicultural education for all its students. And that the great majority of students are thus entering teaching, having received little or no guidance on how to adopt a broadly based approach to education, which takes full account of the presence of ethnic minorities in our society. Yep. So in a nutshell, in 1985, this Swan report was saying that teachers coming in have got no cultural sensitivity. There's yep. no, uh, there's nothing which is going to show them how to work in a hyper-racialized yep. community. Okay, that's 1985. But mm-hmm. fast forward to 2022, my experience with the... 12,000 practitioners we've trained in the last three years Go and on. a vast majority of those would be teachers, mm-hmm. nothing's changed. Yeah, yeah. So to, to Jeffrey, why? Yeah, <laughs> and, yeah, yeah, yeah. And how do we, we know it's a problem, but what do we need to do to to, to alter this? The first the first thing, because it's crazy when you put it like that, because 1985 was like, you know, almost 40 years ago now. Right. This, is, this, is, this is a serious problem. Yeah. The first issue there is that people are not actually looking up and seeing the situation for what it is. So they're not even realizing that there needs to be a level of cultural competency mm. because they're not looking at it. If if I put a ball on that table, right? Like a glass ball, like a valuable one, right? And I roll it that, that way, right? Mm. You know what's gonna happen to it. It's gonna keep on rolling, yeah. you know, it's logic. It's gonna fall off the table. It's gonna s- smash. Yeah. If it's a valuable ball, you can catch it if you're looking at it. Or I could, I could like yeah. intervene or do something. If you're not looking at that ball, you let it roll, you let it smash. If you're not even listening out for it, if you've got your hands on your ears, you won't even hear when it smashes. So people aren't looking at these communities, right? Beryl Gilroy wrote a book called Black Teacher. She's the first black head teacher in this country. Her son was Paul Gilroy who wrote, There Ain't No Black and Union Jack. This is serious business, right? Beryl Gilroy wrote Black Teacher, 1950. She came over here. She had the roughest time because she could only find work in some rough East London school. It was a multicultural classroom, early multiculturalism, because it was after the Second World War. And that whole book is about her 
just learning about all these different communities. Like she had to learn about Greek people. She had to learn about Irish people. She had to learn about all sorts, Turkish people. And as a teacher, she has to go through those fires of just seeing who's in front of you, learning what their life is like, learning what their communities are like and use it and being in conversation. There's no dialogue. And I think part of it is they don't respect those communities enough to get in conversation. Yeah. Like me and you talk to each other. It's because we respect each other. Like we look at each other eye to eye. I respect you've got something to offer to my universe. You respect me and we talk. Mm. If you don't respect a community, you don't even think that you need to talk to them. You might not even know they're there. Yeah. So with that Swan report, what's happening is the institution of education, and it's one of many in- institutions that's guilty with the exact same thing. They haven't actually looked up to see the communities in front of them and realise they need to be in dialogue yes. with them. Therefore, they don't know anything about them and the ball is just rolling right. and it's going to fall and it's going to smash. But here's the situation. Know? I mean, it, it's such a... It's, everything you just said there resonates so much. Mm. So when I was a pastor in a church in, in South East London, we'd often get many people coming from all over London, outside the country, outside of London as well. And um, very often we'd get teachers doing Teach First. Right. And they'd come from places outside North Wales. I've got nothing against North Wales. <laughs> family in North Wales, love North Wales, it's all good. But so a lot of the teachers would come from places like this, yeah, yeah. in the valleys, from the valleys, yeah. and they'll land, and they'd always be put in the most hyper-racialized, local, um, high density of, of black, Caribbean, African. Yeah. And I'm like, whoa. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm gonna give you three months. and. <laughs> You, you know, you set the stop. I said the time. I said the stop. <laughs> you know, stopwatch came yeah. three months in, and Ben, I'm struggling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the the community doesn't get me. The 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 staff uh, don't get me. The the pupils don't get me. And I'm like, obviously, yeah, because you may well be skilled in teaching English or maths or whatever it mm-hmm. is. But you don't understand the culture and the context that you're coming into. Very simple. So I'm very, I always get very confused. And this is not just about teaching. This mm. is also about the police. Mm-hmm. Because you often get police officers, and we spoke about this with Sace who came on earlier on. You get police officers who are from Essex. Yeah. Policing Lewisham. Right, 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 right. And so they don't know that context. And the only context they have of black children or black people is top boy. Yeah. Not anti top boy completely, yeah, yeah. but I'm just saying the reality is, mm-hmm. if that's all you've seen, yep. then how are you going to handle me, who's not a drug dealer, yeah, 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 right? yep. So it, there's there's these nuanced conversations which we don't have, but I believe it's these fine lines which actually result and continue the school mm. to prison pipeline. Yes, yeah. What do we do? I think what you need to do is first of all, you need to get in enter a process of like identification. Like you need to know your blind spots, it's the most important thing. Because if you don't know what you don't know, you can't even take a step towards fixing it. And you need to, before that, I'm putting a lot of work on people here, (laughs) you have to acknowledge that you have blind spots. Yes. But the problem with power, the problem with like racial power, uh, gender power, class power, you know, economic power, is that it doesn't admit that it's in any way deficient. It, It has to like build itself up. So it doesn't admit that it's got blind spots, right? And because of the way that it works, the power can just continue to sort of like, you know, dominate. Yeah. It doesn't need to admit it's got like blind spots. So there's no humility. Yeah. Because one of the things that that I've benefited from 
in my movements throughout the world and my movements through teaching and everything else are moments where I've been forced to be humble. Uh, That's really, really beneficial to me. Yeah. So when I moved to East London to teach, I'd never taught a Muslim student ever. So just because of where I taught, I taught in West London at school, didn't have any Muslim population. I didn't have any Muslim friends. Um, I grew up in like Brixton. Mm. As far as I know, there probably were, but it wasn't, you know. Then suddenly I'm a young teacher in East London with like a 70% plus Muslim population at the school. I don't know anything about that population. That's humbling. I have to go into listening mode. I have to to censor someone else. Because otherwise... What am I going to do? I'm just going to lead with, well, I'm an English teacher. I don't know that. And you don't know that. So listen to me as an English teacher. Yeah. You know, I'm black. So I could talk to these black kids. and da, da, da. But I had to learn about the Muslim, you know, yeah. story, the narrative. Yeah. I had to talk to parents. I had to like park myself, and let someone else be right in the middle. And that's what we're, that's what's not happening in these inst- institutions. And it's interesting you've used language such as learning and humility. Mm. So... One of the things when we put out our uh, tip report in 2020, we acknowledged that there was a lack of cultural competency, um, particularly in therapy. And these are some of the barriers to why black and brown families don't engage. Yeah, yeah. Um, But what we've actually moved, we've moved away from the term cultural competency to interestingly to cultural humility and cultural sensitivity. And the reason why we've done that is because we talk about competency, you really mean mastery. Yes. Culture can't be mastered. And and therefore, because of that, we now research tells you that actually humility is a better word. Cultural humility or sensitivity. Why? Because you forces you to take this posture of learning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, yeah. it's it's an ongoing and it's yeah. more intersectional as well. So so it's really interesting that you said yeah, all that because yeah. it absolutely sits with the ethos of power to fight. But I think creating those spaces, particularly critical thinking. So when mm. we do our training, mm, mm. teachers will often say, "I've not had the space," and I and I think it's really important. The space to do what? To have okay. critical thinking. Because they, and then this is interesting. I, mean, I, I, I know you can face. tell from my face. I so face. Yeah. The reason, I, I'd, I'd say this, and this is, because well, I'm not a teacher, so whether I just have to, I have to say, yes, I believe you, I don't mm. But what has come from that is because they would say, particularly off the back of COVID, yeah. we're so busy. Yeah. We're, we're not only trying to deal with the, the, the pupils and the parents that we're dealing with, but also my own family. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. And then when you actually create the space for critical thinking, mm-hmm. they love it. Mm, mm. But it's not some it's not a natural stance yeah, 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 for a yeah, teacher, yeah. particularly when you've got pressure from Ofsted. Yeah, and, to, yep. and various other mm-hmm. things. All the accountability stuff. But is, your face was interesting though. It is interesting because like I'll just I'll just level with you. Like to me, that's all uh, that's an, a bit of a I'm stuttering because I don't want to say what I want to say, but I'm just gonna say it. No, you gotta say what you're gonna say. It's like a cop out. It's mm. an easy way of kicking the real conversation into the long grass. Because there's never enough time. There's never enough time. Scarcity is real. Like, you know, there's mm. enough time to do anything. But there's time to there's time to get a haircut when you need it. There's time to watch <laughs> Hey, listen. If I Whoa. wanna if <clears throat> if I wanna like watch a Netflix yeah, box set, I will make time for it. If I like there's certain things that we make time for. There's time to be on social media. So, yeah. you know, so part of me, I know it sounds harsh. And it sounds a bit like, a bit like wagging a finger, but that cannot be the reason because when you're motivated to do something, it happens because it's, when it's important, it becomes urgent and it happens. So if it's not important, you need to just say, actually, it's not that I haven't got time. It's just not important enough. 
you know? Yeah. So all the metaphors are true here. All the cliches. When your house is on fire, that's urgent. You've got to put that fire out. No, no. <coughs> I'm, I'm with you. So everything yeah, yeah. <laughs> teachers can say, no, which yeah, I can't, no. and that's good. So, yeah. and, then, and then the other thing as well is, and this is crucial, like, the, the paradigm at the moment is that, you know, you as you say, mastery. We're encouraged, definitely teachers, to become like competent masters, you know, this idea you can get good. But what is missing there is this like basic knowledge. People don't know what has happened. Mm -hmm. So every group, if you look at all these groups, you know, like Black Caribbean, you know, West African, Muslim, every group's got a story. Yeah. And those stories are different. And you need to know those stories to understand where that ball is when it's rolling. It's so important. If you don't know the story of a group of people, then you can't actually engage with them. So when you're looking at black boys, black Caribbean boys, you need to know that there was a point when there were ESN schools in this country, you know, educationally subnormal schools, and more than 70% of black Caribbean boys in some parts of London were put into the ESN category. You need to know that to understand what you're looking at when you see a black boy turn up at school. That's not required reading. I can't it's not required reading. Who's the guy who wrote the book? Bernard Cord. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So that, you know, no, that, yeah. that was from the 70s. It should be required. Yeah, yeah. No one knows but, that. But nobody yeah. talks about it. So th so then, so you're you're starting from a point of deep deficit in just understanding yeah. the context. And every group has their own story. Yeah. And I feel like I'm a people person. Like I get energized by people. Mm. Like I really do. It sounds like cheesy, but I sort of like feed off that energy. And I'm the kind of person where if someone stops me and starts, you know, long rambling story, I'll just be like, you know what, let me just hear it. <laughs> Because, you know, it helps me to understand me as well. Yeah. If you don't have that impetus to get someone else's story, mm. then you can't understand them and you won't respect their narrative enough to even respect their struggles. Yeah, you're right. You and know? the story, hearing different people's story, I mean, I'm a similar. I, I absolutely love hearing where people are coming from. But it's... A, people would argue it's a space conversation, but I think mm. it's a great provocation that you've just had there. And I think it's What's important. It, yeah. I want to just touch on something which I also know is deeply close to your heart. Okay, here we go. Which is music. Yes. You're a music man, which is another reason why I was like, I like this guy. He, he knows his grime. Yep. He knows his rap. He knows, you know, all the things I'm into. And, and I know it's not just that as well, because you play guitar and all that type of stuff, yeah. which is great. Because <laughs> often I don't want to, I don't want to create stereotypes for people, but you know. Um, I do love hip hop. You though, do love hip hop. We know there's stereotypes, <laughs> but there's also things that you want to see. Um, so I feel like I want to ask some questions, like who are your, who are your top three? Like, huh. I know, okay. you know this one coming. I want to ask, I, so. I'll start thinking. Yeah, so yeah, I'll, yeah. I'll come to that. So, you, you know, I need, you got a bit of time to think, but like, I would love to know, because we always say, well, uh, let me do top, top five, actually. So yeah, top yeah. five MCs, and that can be UK or US. Oh, man, that makes it even harder. I know, because if we were just like... Yeah, know, yeah, yeah, like, I can narrow it down. You can narrow it down. Or, you know, we could do top five US and top five UK. So we can do that wow. at some point. There you go. Right? I like that. So you got a bit of time to think. Yeah, yeah, I'm ready for While that. you're thinking about that... Um, <laughs> I need my notebook. I yeah, yeah, yeah. So you need to... Yeah, you need no. to I need you know. to get like a chart here. I, and I know like... these questions are bad, because what some, when somebody puts these questions to me, Ivan have to say, well, what are we talking about? Lyrics, yeah, yeah, yeah. Influence. I'm not going there. You just got to tell me, <laughs> right? But on serious question, one of the things we, we, we often have to deal with is the connection mm -hmm. or the perceived connection mm -hmm. between violence affecting young people yep. and drill yep. UK rap. Yep. Um, for someone who has written about, I don't like the term urban, yeah. but 
for want of a better phrase, that urban black mm-hmm, music. Mm-hmm. Uh, for someone who's got a passion about it and someone who also engages with young people yeah. on, a, on a regular basis who has passion for this type of music. Yeah. Is there a connection? And should we be concerned? Yeah, uh, there's definitely a connection. There are multiple connections, right? It's very interesting because you've got to put it into not just one context, but various contexts. So first of all, you've got to look at these like social issues. You know as well as I do, there are like socioeconomic issues that are impacting upon you know black communities like way more so than other communities. More black children in this country, percentage-wise, are in poverty than their white peers. Fact, yeah. right? So this is an issue because with that become comes all these other social issues like you know criminal activity, sub economies that need to be filled uh, in in some way, antagonism with the authorities, and so on. Boom, that's one of the things there. Then any cultural artifact that comes from that is going to have that as part of its conversation. Like hip hop was never just about the party. It was also about socioeconomics. It was also about politics. It was also about fitting into a society where certain communities had struggled to, you know, be seen as whole. So the music is kind of like a reflection of that. Then you get this other thing whereby, you know, music, culture, it gets like commodified, you know? So hip hop is like in its fifties now, all its offshoots are kind of younger, but in this country, everything that's come through like jungle, UK garage, people talking fast over beats, you know, that has always been linked to a kind of cultural capital of blackness, which is really, really, really valuable. Mm -hmm. It's happened over and over again. Jazz, rock and roll, blues, R and B, hip hop, you know, I'll keep going. Any yeah. any black artifact, they can sell it because it's yeah. illicit. Gangster rap in America. So you get this weird thing where it becomes like monetized. Mm-hmm. When you go to like these big festivals, the audiences aren't all black. Well, we always say that. You know like, what I mean? Like Stormzy uh, yeah. headlined Glastonbury. Glastonbury. You know, black people there were no one, there's no one from the ends in <laughs> yeah, that because yeah. they because they don't know where Glastonbury is <laughs> and they can't afford a ticket, you know? It's like, yeah. so, so it becomes monetized. And then actually... Society's obsessed with sex and violence. It's like, you know, we love movies and stories that are illicit. Yeah. You know, it appeals to the adolescent, you know, juvenile brain of like risk and so on. So this music, because it's been monetized, it's going to speak to that because it sells. And that's really crude. So then people making this music, they might accidentally start like catering to that taste, to that palette, um, because it's hot. And that's what we've seen. So hip hip hop is like just gone overboard where it's just like grotesquely, you know, sort of like monetized and it's about capital and heavily sexualized and hyper-masculine and kind of toxic in many different ways. It's still got those elements of, you know, reflective creativity of social commentary. It's still in there somewhere. Um, And I think it's the same thing over here. So the music is on the one hand, offering a space for expression, yeah. creativity. You know, if you're making a song, you're not out in the streets doing something else in that moment. But on the other hand, it's absolutely playing into a particular narrative and creating that narrative. And it's armor, it's kind of it's kind of tragic. Yeah. Because it's like, you know, when you cut away people and just look at who we are, we sort of clad ourselves in various armor. And a lot of these genres, yeah. it's a particular armor yeah. to uh, to fit into a particular context. I think it's a really good point, and 
it, it's so... So I, my answer to that question is always yes and no. Mm-hmm. It's always kind of like on one hand, you know, music uh, has been around which impacts a dominant youth culture for years. It, yeah. And, you know, you can go back as far as rock and roll, that was the devil at one point. Yeah, 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 yeah. Whatever. Yeah. And my experience of grime and UK rap and this type of stuff, like, similar to you, you grow up with, this, with mm. this type of stuff. What I would say is that there definitely feels to be a difference to when I was younger and what I was listening to in the 90s. Yeah. If I'm listening to East Coast hip hop in my house in South East London, I'm unlikely to ever meet Biggie Smalls. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. There's something about proximity between artists and listeners yeah, yeah, yeah. from a UK yeah. perspective. We always had MCs, mm-hmm. we all, but... They weren't charting no, no, and going no, number no, one no. in the same way now. I'm like, oh, that kid from my state yeah, yeah, is yeah. blowing. Yeah. So I think there's something like that. I also wonder if there's a technology conversation. We yeah, need of to, course. We yeah. need to have that. You know, the digital back, age changed oh, Back in the day, you had to go to uh, studios to master yeah. your stuff and do well, yeah. what we do now. Now you can do everything in your exactly. room. So I think this combination is something. But unfortunately, I've seen young people who I've worked with who are drill artists, who are yes. UK rap artists, who have lost their lives. Um, and I always say this, it, was it because of the music we're making? I'm not sure. Mm. But what we don't want to talk about is that as soon as you get a million hits on your YouTube video, yeah. going to Morley's Chicken becomes a little bit more complicated. Yeah, 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 yeah. You haven't yeah. got Jay-Z, Beyonce security. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and it ends up unforgiving. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then people make assumptions about how much money you got, yeah. what your life is like. And then also this horrible thing with like, there is a very hyper-masculine strand, not even a strand, like backbone in this in this music, in this culture. And and it comes through lots of different musical genres. You, you definitely get it in hip hop. You definitely get it in dance hall. You definitely get it in a... And this hyper-masculinity is linked to kind of like authenticity yeah. of self. Yeah. So you've got to like walk the walk and talk the talk. Right. Right. So otherwise you're fake. And this is, and this is a problem because it means that your acts of um, bravado and your proximity to like criminality or your proximity away from the establishment because yeah. no one wants to be Carlton Banks. Like, you know, yeah. no one wants to be... <laughs> oh, right, the, the, the new Carlton. I don't know if you've seen, yeah, 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 you yeah. seen the new Bel yeah. This is like evil Carlton. Yeah, yeah, evil. <laughs> <laughs> he, he, he's, he, I got a phone call from my mum saying, oh, I mean, I, mean, I like new, new Fresh Prince. Uh, Carlton evil. I was like, yeah, my mum, Carlton. Even Carlton. But yeah, yeah, you're right. Nobody wants you know, to be that. So then it becomes a case of, you know, they got to double down. And then, and that is a real, that in itself... That needs support and help. Like anyone yeah. in that situation needs needs support to know that you know what you can be an artist, you could be an entrepreneur, you could be a musician, you can be all these things. Um, you don't have to be leaning into this stuff, but the pressure to be authentically, yeah. you know, and this is a, and it probably is know. changing a bit. I mean, I hope so. There are so you know you take an artist like Dave, yeah, um, yeah. Little Sims. Yeah, yeah. yeah there's yeah, there's, yeah, there's yeah. uh Kojo Ra- Radical. Yeah, there's there's yeah, people out yeah, there. I'm yeah, like, yeah. do you know you what? Know. Actually, there is it feels like there's a shift because yeah. you guys are not just making good music. Yeah, like, yeah. And it's like, yeah. No, you're you're actually trying with this yeah, type of stuff yeah. as well. But it still feels though, like, even even if I take those three artists mm-hmm. on a street level. Well, this is it. That's not that's not the artist they've No, no. People like <laughs> 
no one's like bumping like pure Stormzy no. at like a house party. <laughs> like, no, you, exactly. exactly. I, love, I love Stormzy. I know that the kids aren't sort of like, you this know. is it. It's, it's, it's drill artists who I don't, you know, I've, I've got to the point where I can't keep up. Yeah, so yeah. I don't know, I wouldn't be able to tell you mm. who, but the ones, it's not the ones who are charting. Yeah. Which are influencing the kids. But it's, 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 I suppose what I'm getting at is how do we equip ourselves, mm. whether that's teachers or whether that's parents or carers, um, to encourage our young people, you know, it's youth, it's, it's, it, but there's levels to this. Yeah, I yeah. think, unfortunately, what we're seeing is this crossover between what you're listening to mm-hmm. and then it spilling into real life. Yeah, which is... Which is crazy, man, because this is like creative stuff. I think that a big part of it for me, because I've got like a critical analysis kind of brain. That's the muscle that I've been building for a long time. And I find what critical analysis allows me to do, like I did in Blacklisted, it gives me distance. And that that gives me literally an advantage point. Like I can see things from up there because I take time to work it out. So I can look at something like UK Drill critically and understand where it's coming from. That's why I wrote Hold Tight. Yeah. Because I wanted to chart this journey. Yeah, you know, this like black British journey that had all sorts of roots. And I could see that people were talking about grime without a single, like people were talking about grime in newspapers and magazines that didn't listen to Jungle, you know, that didn't understand where UK Garage came from. How, how are you going to listen to grime and not know about dancehall? Like, are you mad? Yeah. So I, I thought that that was important. That's why I wrote it. Yeah. Um, and I feel like, that is actually quite empowering because when you give, it's a cliche, but it's true. Knowledge is power, man. Like when you give people a sense of the story, the knowledge, yeah. you can chart UK drill. You can understand where it came from. You can understand it critically. You can criticize it for better or for worse. And any sensible person will be able to then distance themselves yeah. from the parts of it that they don't actually need to be part of. Sure. But when you're, when you're just like, kicked into it and you're swimming around in it and your brain hasn't got a prefrontal cortex because you're 14 yeah. and you can't do long-term decision-making, you're not thinking about, well, how does this fit into my life and what part of this story do I want to be part of? Yeah. But that's exactly where they need to be because that's the difference between, you know, a Kendrick Lamar or a Dave and someone who is just like running around the streets, getting themselves into serious trouble because yeah. they want to be real. Yeah, no, it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a massive point. So on that note, you've had enough time now to talk about <laughs> <clears throat> who your top three, or top five, I said top five, didn't I? I know, I know. Artists, give me, give me, your, give me, give me, or give me no particular no, order. No particular order, give me your UK. Woo, UK, Kano. Number one. Kano, uh, maybe not number one, but Kano uh, comes into my mind immediately um, because, First, first of all, contrary to what I've just said, in terms of lyrics, Kano's one of the like low key, one of the like gulliest artists. Like he's actually really like his words grip you raw, you know. Yeah. But he's he's a real poet, like a real poet, yeah. carefully crafted, mm. and he's put in so much work into yeah. into his career, yeah. his output, his body of work. Going back to mixtapes is amazing. Um, I also love where he sits in that intersection of like his personal narrative, like mm-hmm. coming from you know, Caribbean culture mm-hmm. and East London culture. Yeah. I don't think anyone is straddling those worlds as well as Kano since maybe Smiley Culture. Wow. That's, which, that's a, which, that's a... which people don't talk about, but I would say like Smiley Culture straddled those worlds. Yes. You know, East London, Cockney, yeah. Patois speaking, yeah. Jamaican. Kano does the same thing. Mm. Um, 
And he I think crafts that, his albums well. Yeah, yeah. He's an album artist. He's an album artist. Um, but he can also do like just raw, li- like raw lyrics that mm. just get you. Yeah. So Kano's w- well up there for, for me. Um, I'll say um, Jay Huss, I find the most enigmatic of enigmatic artists. Jay Huss, I'll, I'm going to put it down, like put it to the camera, like, <laughs> like it's WWE. Yeah, like, yeah, you know? <laughs> Jay Huss should be this country's poet laureate. Like, wow. I think Jay Huss is one of one of the best living poets that we have. Um, and I say that, someone that's like, you know, I studied English yeah. literature to degree level. As he, did I, by the way. Oh, there you go. Put that in the yes, but, you know, there we go. Don't big anybody up. You know. He's got more books than me, but it's all good. <laughs> but yeah, no, but I, I hear you, what He's you're a saying. Poet. He's a poet. Um, his, his words fall like between the spaces of meaning yeah. all the time. So yeah. he says simple things that are profound. Yeah. You know, yeah. like, Thought it was a bulletproof vest. Now nah, that's just a body warmer. I'm telling you, man, that's a deep line. You know, you know, like that's yeah, deep. No, no, you can unpack that in multiple ways. Is, you know what I mean? Yeah. You know, and and I think that I'm not going to patronize him and say that oh, it's just accidental. No, it's it's he knows what he's doing with his words. Yeah, he needs to drop an album. Though. He needs to drop an album. Yeah, like I got yeah. excited at one point. It's I know funny. it was all over social yeah, media. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was like an, I was like, okay, and then yeah. it just didn't, you know. Yeah. So Jay Huss, Kano, um, we're just doing UK. No, no, no. We can throw in because you know I want you to to okay. find, find US. Uh, MF Doom. Oh wow, MF Doom easily. Doomalay. Wow. Doomalay all day. Um, when MF Doom died, wow. I was uh, I was in bits. Because I'm I'm such an MF Doom fan. Mm. Um, because he creates u- like universes and galaxies. Favorite album? Uh, maybe the Victor Vaughan one, um, Venomous Villain. Oh, wait, wait. Um, but then, okay. but then, but then, um, food maybe yeah, uh, yeah, uh, after that. But yeah, yeah. M- M- MF Doom's a, like creates worlds, and he also speaks to like black resistance yeah. all the way through, which I love even though it's like sci-fi and like American cowboy language and all sorts of weird stuff. Yeah. Um, and just the flow is just bonkers. Um, it's MF Doom. Okay. Yeah. Give me two more. Um, Andre 3000. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, definitely. Because he's just a true poet. And you know what I like about him, actually? I, I worked this out only last week because mm. I think about this question a lot. Yeah. I worked out why I like him. He, he's, his conceptual happy place is at that cusp of like adolescence and adulthood. Yes. Which, wow. I, which I think yes. is an important thing for humans to realize that yeah. we are always at that point of not knowing and we need to be kind to kids because they're at the cusp of knowing and not knowing. Well, it's a very much that William Blake age of innocence, age of experience. That's it, that's it, it? yeah. Somewhere in that yeah. space between, yep. between the two. And if you treat your kids like that, yeah. like in your work, society looks at like a 14 year old yeah. It's like a it's like a three year old at the same time as being like a twenty one year old. Absolutely, and that's really that's really profound. That's why I like teaching because, you know, adults often look at teenagers and they get scared of them, or they think they're up to no good, or they think they should know better. But actually, a lot of the time, teenagers are just like toddlers. They just need yeah. the basics, and they're getting it wrong. No, you're totally you know? right. And I think the Andre three thousand is fascinating because he's somebody who over delivers. So mm. when you hear a verse. Yeah, <laughs> you're like, oh, you've given me. I feel like I, I shouldn't be listening to this. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. I think of the life of the party verse. Yeah, I feel like I, this is like almost like a diary. Yeah, 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 this yeah. Is, this is he, 
He gives you, yeah. So like, I, 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 I concur. Oh, lovely, 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 lovely. Okay. Is and that the, five? That's four. One more. Oh man, um, I always struggle with the last one because I've always got all these different angles. Like there's, you know, people like Ghostface Killer. I love Ghostface mm. Killer. Love Ghostface storytelling mm. to me. Mm. Slick Rick, sto- mm. like come on, Slick Rick, the storyteller. Rakim because he basically invented the flow. Yeah. Without that, you know, then we got problems. Mm. Uh, then uh, it's it's really really hard, man. Um, yeah, it's tricky. Yeah, maybe. Then then I weirdly in my head I always go to Missy. This is really weird. Interesting. No, I don't think it's weird. I I can see why you went there, and I think she's underrated. Yeah. I think when you've got someone as creative as her, yeah, but she produces. Yeah. She she sings. Yeah. She raps. Yeah. And then the videos. Yeah, it's like, it's like a complete package. Yeah, yeah. And I feel like that's a that's a, it's a big part of like in hip hop, the party starter is an important figure. Yeah. You know, and Missy's probably the best party starter after someone like MC Hammer. <laughs> <laughs> MC Hammer started a party in the whole world. Oh yeah, Hammer, Hammer was. Um, you know. I, mean, I went to I went to a Hammer concert at twelve. Oh man, mum took me in um, Wembley Arena. Life changing. Uh, honestly, it was probably and it is. I've seen Michael Jackson live at um, the Bad concert. Wow, eighty eight. Madonna. Oh my goodness. Girly show, which is probably a little bit exotic for my yeah or, yeah or I even bet. erotic from for fifteen years. Yeah, but I you bet. Know, went anyway, and um and then Prince. Wow. And I've seen those. You've seen the yeah. Like, so I'm I'm fortunate, but Hammer. As weird as it sounds, no. Uh, listen, was, it was was like he had like two hundred dancers. On yeah, the yeah, stage. yeah, yeah. And incredible. But listen, I I I just want to. There's so much I could talk to you about. I know, right? So much. Just scratch the surface. Just scratch the surface. I know, I know. But um, you know, if I if I keep going down this route, it's going to be two hours. You know, and, I, and I'd love <laughs> to do it. But um, I want to. I just want to say thank you. And the reason why I want to say that it's not just because of you writing great books. It's not just about your music knowledge and the show that you've got on on on. Is it Radio One? You want Radio, Radio Four? Radio Four. Radio Four. Look at that. Yeah. Um, Highbrow. <laughs> yeah, we got music on. Radio you, you got music on Radio Four. No one, no one does that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not just because of that. It's because you are absolutely yourself. There's an authenticity in what you bring to this conversation, and I know so many people are inspired by your words. Um, you're giving voice to the voiceless. You're fiercely passionate about what you do. You're a justice person. I want to say thank you. We don't often give flowers. Oh, we give flowers when people unfortunately pass. We don't give them when they're alive enough. Bro, you're brilliant at what you do. Oh, thank thank you. you for inspiring us. Thank you for being a black teacher in this space. We had, as I said, Lord Willie, Lord Hastings, they were talking about, we need more black teachers. We need this. And I'm, not, I'm like, yeah, you're right. But we also need the right type. <laughs> and bro, you fall into that context. So no, thank you so much. Thank, thank you. appreciate you. Thank you for coming down. All the way from East Yorkshire. East right? Yorkshire. Yeah. Yeah. I came all the way down. I'm, right. I've got a rucksack and everything. I was like, <laughs> what? You know, I'm like. <laughs> no, no. So thank you so much for your time. No, it's amazing, Ben. It's been, it's been amazing. And, and thank you. And yeah, your work is inspirational. And essential as well. So I just hope that we get as many people being part of the right conversation. Thank you so much, bro. Appreciate it.